This podcast is brought to you by the Empower Her program, a 12-week gut and hormone restoration program. If you are suffering from chronic digestive and menstrual cycle issues, this may be the program for you. Go to www.sophieandkyleen.com forward slash empower her to join the waitlist. Welcome to the She Talks Health Podcast, your source for information about all things women's hormonal health. I'm your host, Sophie Shepard. I'm the founder of She Talks Health and the co-creator of the 12-week Empower Her group gut and hormone program. I'm a certified functional health coach and a holistic menstrual health educator. This podcast was created to give you clarity about how to take control over your hormonal health using safer, natural options. I created this podcast to cover the widespread and complex health issues plaguing women today. From the rise of infertility to the epidemically high numbers of women with autoimmune disease to menstrual cycle problems, digestive issues, anxiety, weight gain, food sensitivities, mental, emotional, and energetic imbalances, and so much more. If there's a topic that you need answered, I encourage you to write us at podcast at shetalkshealth.com and we will try our absolute best to cover that subject. My greatest mission in life is to help women radically change their health and their lives by teaching them how they can use their hormones as their superpowers. So with that in mind, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back, ladies, to the She Talks Health Podcast. This is your host, Sophie Shepard, menstrual health coach and gut guru. And I am so excited today to be interviewing Dr. Lori Johnson. Um, She is actually a licensed marriage and family therapist and a coach with more than 25 years of experience as a clinician, educator, and clinical supervisor. And she has a specialization in women's mental health and reproductive health. She actually helps clients to navigate the uncertainty in their relationships and overcome the emotional challenges that come with fertility problems and the loss of pregnancy. And that this is going to help couples to strengthen their relationships. So today we're going to be talking about all of that, plus what the signs of infertility trauma are and what is this intersection between infertility trauma and racial trauma. So Dr. Lori, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me, Sophie. It's so nice to be here. Yeah, it's really nice. I know this is long overdue and I'm super, super excited to kind of bring some of these things to light that maybe people are feeling, but they're not sure how to express or even have a channel for it. And I know if you're doing this work that you've probably had a story of your own. So if you're willing to share with us a little bit about why you got into this world, we would love to hear it. Yes, absolutely. So I started off as, you know, just training to be a therapist. And as any, you know, 20 something, I never thought about having fertility issues. Um, But I just, you know, kind of completed my training and started my career in community mental health. And then about 12 years ago, I transitioned to private practice. And at that point, I started seeing a lot more um, professional women who were, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, but then also struggling to build their families and had come across some struggles because of, you know, age or just stress and other factors that really got me thinking more about, you know, not just their experiences, but then my own. And, and so I, that was my first introduction to infertility. And then um, I, you know, I've spoken quite 
freely about this, but um, when I got married later in life, um, never thought I would have any issues. And then my husband and I have struggled with uh, infertility for the past seven years. So which has included um, four pregnancy losses um, and a year and a half of IVF treatments, you know, that ended also in a pregnancy loss. So it's, um, I'm coming at this not just as a clinician who wants to support and advocate for women, but also as a woman who has struggled and wants to advocate for not just myself, but for other women who are struggling with this as well. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry to hear about your own um, infertility struggles. That's so tough. Seven years. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it, I, you know, I, I definitely turned a corner in this journey last year. And, and I told myself, you know, once I did, I didn't think it was possible, but it, but it, it happened. And, and I, you know, I told myself I would start talking about it more. Um, I, I dealt with it a lot secretly within, you know, just within my, my village, but um, not in a way that I'm doing now. And um, so it's actually been quite healing and, and to see the impact for other women has been, has been wonderful too. So, you know, kind of finding purpose in that pain has been my motto the wounded the wounded healer as uh, we both are you know having dealt Mm -hmm. with such serious health concerns and then being able to kind of pay it forward and and see that beautiful mirror in supporting Mm -hmm. women who are struggling with the same things and that is truly beautiful and sometimes very difficult work so I'm glad to hear Mm -hmm. that you've turned the corner on that um just at least mentally that's really beautiful to hear and um for anyone who's listening and this is maybe resonating, we're going to talk about all this today, but also um, go back to the very first, uh, I think it was like the fourth episode I interviewed Dr. I'm uh, sorry, Anna Saucier about um, mm. unexplained infertility. And then um, recently coming out on the podcast will also be an episode with a functional practitioner called Sarah Clark, who also talked about some of the testing we can run to see some of the hidden root causes of infertility. So we're kind of just hitting it mm-hmm. at all angles. And I know one of the biggest things that you advocate for is just infertility awareness, really getting people to understand what's going on. Can you explain more about what infertility awareness is and how people can get involved? Absolutely. So infertility awareness is bringing awareness to infertility issues. I think so much of our community is cloaked in secrecy. A lot of people aren't talking about fertility issues. I think we, you know, we all kind of grow up with this idea, or at least I did. And a lot of women that I've worked with grew up with this idea that, you know, we spend so much time learning how to not get pregnant. And, you know, I think that contributes to this idea that in some ways it's really easy to get pregnant and nobody anticipates um, starting their lives or their families. Um, you know, with having issues. And so being informed about what does proper fertility health look like? And then also, um, you know, what do you need to do to address um, to address fertility issues if they start to, to come up? And so if we don't, if we're not talking about it and we don't know what to look for, then we're really blindsided when the obstacles, you know, really, you know, really present themselves. Gosh, that is so true. And something I just really want to speak into is this idea that um, we grow up with thinking that, you know, it's, you're going to get pregnant immediately. And um, if you've, if you're a listener of this podcast, a client of mine, you've been following me on Instagram at Street Talk Sales or any, any conversation basically out of my mouth. It's just that it is actually really challenging to get pregnant. There's only a few, a handful, maybe six days, they think that you could get pregnant Mm -hmm. out of the entire month. So it's actually incredibly insane that we feel we have to like go on crazy birth control to like that we think we're going to get pregnant when we're, and we're not taught. And that's not to say that like birth control is is all bad. Like there's definitely like a time and place for it, but it's just really interesting how, you know, we put our bodies through 
this process of like suppressing our natural hormonal flows. And, and then like we try to get pregnant and it's just so heartbreaking for me. I see so many women experience this where they're like, okay, I just got married. I'm going to come off the pill and I'm going to get pregnant. And like, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen that way because we've never learned how our bodies work. And in my one-on-one work with people, I literally just feel like I'm repeating myself over and over again. And I love Mm -hmm. doing this. I love talking about it, but I'm just maybe for the first time explaining to a woman, you know, like how does your hormonal cycle work and why it's so beautiful, right? I mean, exactly, exactly. I find, I find myself doing that too, you know, from an emotional perspective, because I have a, I have a, a woman that I'm working with right now. She and her wife are trying to get pregnant. And so um, you know, and so really trying to explain the, you know, how, how timing is important and tracking ovulation and, and knowing those hormonal shifts in the body. And, and so, and also managing the disappointment that's come because I think they've been trying for a couple of months and it was still that expectation, even though they're same sex couple that, you know what, that, okay, we've, we, we, we've identified the, the ovulatory window and, um, and we're going to inseminate the sperm and it should work. And it's, it's not that easy. It's just not that easy. And so knowing that just even on a, on the, on, a, on an average month, that it's usually about a 20% chance, I think are the numbers that I've seen that maybe you've seen something a little bit different, but it's not as high as we would think. And, and so understanding that is important. Absolutely. I mean, I always say that, you know, ovulation is actually not a foregone conclusion. Um, That's true. You know, yes. we need nutrients. We need to be not stressed. Our body will always prioritize survival over pregnancy and creating a child. I mean, your female body is beautifully designed. It will not create a baby if you are, if your body perceives that there is a threat, which is a really interesting dynamic that I know you wanted to talk about, which is like, mm-hmm. how do we manage this like deep rooted desire to be a mom, mm-hmm. you know, or to be, you know, a parent, um, with like not stressing so much that we could potentially cause ourselves to not ovulate or to not create enough progesterone to keep that baby to term or, you know, all those things. It's it's just, it's just really tricky. And I I guess that kind of leads us to something Mm -hmm. I know you are an expert in talking about, which is like this infertility trauma. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm kind of curious, like, when does it go from like infertility stress about like wanting to get pregnant to infertility trauma? Is there like a, a line in the sand? Is it different for everybody? Like, how do you to kind of define that? It's such a, there's a nuance to that, but I really want to, you know, before I get into that, I wanted to just share, I appreciate it. You stay saying that, you know, our bodies will, um, you know, it, it's our, our bodies respond to stress and it's hard to, you know, create a body or be open to welcoming a baby and, and that level of creation when your body's feeling under assault. And that's what stress does. It really impacts our, our system, our, our hormonal system. And, and so that's, and then that's been a very interesting uh, body of research in the fertility community because I've, you know, I've, I've kind of struggled with it personally where I've heard or read countless uh, articles state that, you know, stress doesn't cause infertility or does infertility cause stress and what comes first. And, you know, and I think that what we're starting to see, at least with some of the emerging data is maybe that needs to be revisited. Um, because, it, you know, we, when you move into when it's just quote unquote infertility stress versus trauma, to me also feels more like a, a, um, it's, it, we have to take into account the person's experience of their, their, their situation and their symptoms. I also look at 
um, time and, and also levels of intensity because those, those are things that I really ask in, in, in session with people and it's just a nuance that I get in terms of, all right, when we're in the stress category versus, wow, this is really trauma and, you know, some of the signs of trauma in particular that I, that I look for are, you know, what are the triggers that, um, you know, that the women are responding to? Are they, you know, just noticing that they're more irritable than usual, which could potentially be, you know, due to some hormonal shifts. And if they're already in fertility treatments, then we know that that's obviously uh, going, you know, that's going to be prevalent too. Um, are they having trouble sleeping? Um, are there you know, intense feelings of sadness, anger, guilt, shame? Uh, are, there having some, are they having some issues around concentrating? Energy levels are important to look at too. Um, are they just a little bit lethargic? Um, and are there feelings of numbness or just kind of this blankness for lack of a better way of saying it where you know there's there aren't a lot of emotions registering and so to me that when I start to see some intensity around or more intensity around that puts a woman in the category of this is more like fertility trauma versus you know just infertility stress. Oh, that's really, really great. Thank you for talking about the anger, the guilt, the shame, the maybe lack of concentration, the low energy levels, the inability to sleep well, and the numbness. Those are really specific, tangible qualities I think a lot of women could kind of latch onto and be like, wow, this mm -hmm. is maybe taking it to the next level. And mm -hmm. yeah, just to go back a step again to the stress idea is like being taught that it doesn't impact infertility to me is like, like it's like almost like bordering on just like complete like almost like a complete lie because like we just know physiologically that it does like we know right. like there is such right. a thing as like pregnenolone steel like hormonally where your body will steal from um the hormones that would help you to get pregnant mm -hmm. in order to deal with stress it's like yes. just it does ha it just does happen and and to give like a, a really specific example, now this woman didn't come to me to get pregnant, but she came to me because she had recently come off the birth control pill and she had not gotten a period. She was amenorrheic. Um, and mm. she had previously before going on the birth control pill had horrible long um, periods that were very, very, very um, traumatic for her. And mm -hmm. she, you know, she came in with all this stuff and I was like, yeah, I, what makes you calm down? Like, what makes you, what do you, what do you like for stress relief? She's like, well, I used to have this really great meditation practice, but I haven't really done that in a couple of years. I'm like, okay. Um, I want mm -hmm. you to meditate every day for the next two weeks. She got her period. <laughs> yes. 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 You know, um, yes. so it's like, I mean, I mean, I almost fell off my chair when she texted me that because it's like, yeah, of course, because she's been under yes. so much stress and maybe even to the place of trauma, like you mentioned. So, mm -hmm. so we've identified the signs of trauma. Um, I, I will, I know I, I definitely want to talk about the racial um, intersection, but maybe before we do that, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like I always, when, so, when I feel like I have to address like, okay, yeah, I'm feeling all those things. So uh, Sophie, mm -hmm. Dr. Lori, help me. Like, what do I do? <laughs> right? Like, so obviously people can come see you if they live in California. Um, mm -hmm. But what else could someone do if they are identifying with what you're saying about the anger and the guilt and the shame and all the other symptoms of maybe infertility trauma? So I, I think that, you know, identifying what are their major triggers and also what, I, I like what you mentioned too, in terms like with your client, what helps, um, what helps you kind of um, relax, um, you know, in, and I know that there are, you know, wonderful meditative programs. And I think there's some self-guided um, kind of coaching programs out there too, that could be really helpful in identifying 
not just what your triggers are, but also what's in helping you develop strategies to address those triggers. And that might be something different for, you know, you know, just depending on the person. I know some people respond really well to meditation. Some people respond better to journal prompts. I, I tend to like using journaling as an, um, not just in my not just in my coaching practice but also in my therapy practice because when we write things out it actually helps us process things differently than just typing um, and, and in this digital age I think we need much more organic methods to support our bodies than technology mm-hmm. so um, and and so I think whatever is going to help you achieve a different state of being a much more relaxed state of being is something that I think you need to prioritize and I think there's certain programs that can help you know clients assist or assist clients in in achieving that. Wonderful. And and I 100% agree. I have not dealt with infertility trauma, but I have dealt with Mm -hmm. a whole lot of other trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I would say my first step was hiring um, a practitioner like yourself, someone who could help me um, and identify the triggers and, and come up with some coping mechanisms and things to decompress. Um, Mm -hmm. meditation for me is something that I do try to do, but sometimes like, especially if I am around ovulation, my estrogen is high. I really don't want to sit still because I have so much more energy. So I'll like do a dance party, you know, or, Mm -hmm. you know, like something like you said, writing it out or like there's different times too. Like if you are a cycling woman that your, your, your progesterone and your estrogen are going to dictate to you what your body is truly feeling and you don't have to sit there in some like, yogic pose for 45 minutes to achieve decompression. Exactly. And you know what, and if meditation isn't your thing, then also coloring is another activity mm. that I think is really nice. And, and I love what you said too. It, it, it's, it's really about knowing what your body needs and knowing that those needs change throughout your cycle. So not expecting, you know, and, and kind of moving with that as opposed to against it. So if you're not really yeah. feeling meditation, okay, well, let's do, there, there are other strategies that you can, you know, you can use. Like you yeah. said, you can have a dance party, you're feeling active or, you know, I love that idea. Um, it's, it's just, getting the energy moving and doing something that feels good. Yeah. I used to get so frustrated with myself when I started my business. I was like, okay, I have to have this perfect morning routine because that's what all of the best entrepreneurs in the world have. They have like, they do 10 minutes of this and then they do 10 minutes of that. And there's like all these books out out there around that. Right. And I'm like, that's the only way I'll be successful. Um, (laughs) And now I'm like, finally in this year of like spiritual exploration and realizing like, oh, my body wants different things each day. Sometimes it's the same exact thing that I did yesterday morning, but really the most important thing is that I make time for myself in the morning. For me, I find I need it right early in the day. Otherwise I will get all the way to the end of the day and be like, oh man, I didn't have any time for me. Um, And I find that that's the most important thing for my clients as well, dealing with any sort of trauma or stress, um, mostly more stress, I would say, not that I'm qualified to really deal with deep trauma the way you are. So Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. great. Thank you for sharing some of those strategies. I love that. Love that so much. And um, I, let's get into this kind of juicy conversation that I know you you really do feel passionately about talking mm-hmm. in, and that's about infertility trauma and racial trauma and this mm-hmm. intersection. And I think even just the awareness that infertility isn't just a white woman's issue. This is like right. a, a whole societal issue. So can you speak into this intersection? And um, yeah, I mean, I just would love to learn more about what you think about it and also what someone who is white could do to support their sisters who are not, um, and are dealing with us. 
So and just to provide a little context, you know, I think that we all, you know, and I'm including myself in this, you know, kind of grew up with certain stereotypes about, um, you know, the faces, who were the faces of infertility. And, and we, you know, I grew up with, with stereotypes that, you know, I, there, we, that black people didn't have. Um, for those of you who don't know, I identify as a black woman. Um, you know, there were some stereotypes that black women, you know, didn't have fertility issues, um, that were somehow hyperfertile. And, you know, even when I started my fertility, you know, at the beginning of my fertility journey, I was told, you know, because I, I was able to get pregnant naturally, but they had some concerns because of my, my age. But, you know, I kept hearing, oh, you're still fertile, you're, fer you know, just all of these messages that weren't necessarily helpful. And now we have much more concrete data that, interestingly enough, um, Infertility probably affects about 12% of the women, but it shows that black women in particular are far more likely, twice as likely to experience fertility issues than their white counterparts, but less likely to seek help. So there are actually a lot more struggles in the, in the black community, and, 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 and that data is not necessarily as clear in the Latinx community or the Asian community as, or the indigenous communities as well. But, you know, this idea of stress and if we know that how our bodies respond to stress, and we also know that racism, injustices uh, do impact health as well, the, 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 the likely, you know, uh, kind of conclusion would be that it would also impact fertility. And so, but, it, you know, we weren't seeing data around that, but now we actually are and the medical community is starting to write write that up and kind of catching up with, hey, these are our experiences. And, you know, the fact that, you know, stress causes fertility, um, you know, I, or doesn't cause fertility, I, I think is going to be debunked because mm. you just can't not talk about, you know, racial issues within, you know, communities of color and not think about the ways it's, it's impacted women's health. Oh gosh, I am getting so many chills thinking about the connection here because mm -hmm. in my brain, what I'm thinking is, okay, so now we have concrete data that says that black women are two times as likely to deal with infertility, but they're less mm -hmm. likely to seek help. And if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. part of the reason is that, well, women in general feel like their, their pain is not recognized by physicians. But then if you add on the layer mm -hmm. of race that black women are, and I believe there's statistics around this, that they, mm -hmm. they aren't taken seriously or that their pain right. isn't valid or something like that they're superhuman or <laughs> I don't know what that yes. is. I, you can probably yes. speak into that more, but. Yes. Well, I, I just, you know, I don't want to get too deep into a history lesson, but just, you know, your, your, your listeners could also Google the uh, Sims experiment. And Dr. Sims is considered the forefather of gynecology in, in our, in our, in our community here in and unfortunately, he was a doctor who probably wasn't very pro-woman to begin with, um, but he performed surgical procedures on enslaved women without anesthesia, you know, under the guise that, you know, women or Black people in general didn't feel pain. So there's some historical roots in that. And, and so, you know, he was also, uh, he created a lot of the surgical t uh, tools uh, that are used to today. And so you, there's, a, like I said, a longstanding uh, connection to this idea. And actually, there was a study, I think, at the University of Charlottesville in 2016 that confirmed this as well, that doctors still felt like in 2016 that... Um, that black patients didn't feel pain as much. And, and I, I have some personal experience with that as well, because my mother uh, is, is a, a sickle cell uh, survivor and wow. she, and so, 
She has a derivative of the disease, but it is still one of the more painful uh, kind of presentations of it. And so unfortunately, what that looks like is that, um, you know, she will have this excruciating pain, but oftentimes the, her medical providers, would, when she would go seek help, would think, oh, you know, she's just drug seeking because of the treatment protocol. So that's another example of uh, the pain or the physical manifestations of pain not necessarily being taken seriously and you know there and also based on some ideas around you know this you know who my mom was and you know not treating her appropriately because of that and so it's not just you know in the fertility world but it definitely impacts fertility as well it's it's, it's in the medical community and it's prob- it's definitely problematic Oh my gosh. I'm like crawling out of my skin over here. I mean, you guys can't see my body, but I'm like literally (laughs) just like cringing hearing this, especially the Sims experiment, which I've heard before, but every time I hear it, it just, Mm -hmm. it makes me want to punch somebody. And you're saying it like so nice. Like you're like, yeah. And then this happened. I'm like, what? Like, this is ridiculous. Like how how did that ever happen? Um, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm curious too, like, I don't know, in your work of trauma, I've, I've heard bits and pieces about this, about ancestral trauma, like the things that happened in the past, perhaps cause trauma down the generations because, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if that also plays it. It just seems like there's so many compounding factors here. Yes, I do believe that, you know, the, the, the ancestral trauma is, is real and, you know, and knowing what my mom experienced or, I mean, she talked a lot about what she experienced. She grew up in the civil rights era. She was jailed for protesting. Um, You know, so when I noticed her racial triggers um, and, and I have triggers too that I've noticed. And so, you know, as a result, you know, that that's been part of the, the fabric with which she raised me. And, you know, we were always having conversations about race. Um, I have a brother, so, and, and who, who grew up in New Jersey and he would constantly get pulled over. So, you know, obviously we had by the police, so we've had these conversations with him around how he has to present himself differently, even though we know that respectability politics doesn't really work. Um, and it doesn't matter how, you know, we present, we're be perceived a certain way. Um, but yeah, so you can't not have race as part of your community and, and, and the fabric of how you grew up and not have it impact you. It impacts how you parent. It impacts how you relate to friends and family and coworkers. Um, and just based on the messages that you've internalized, that's what you lead with. So, you know, there's this concept of fear of mistrust. Um, there's also a lot of mistrust in the black community around um, or at least in my community around medical professions because of, you know, the, a lot of misdiagnosis, you know, needing to advocate for ourselves even more um, because of the lack of representation uh, and the impact across generations is real. Wow. Yeah. That's, I was just going to, I was just going to ask you about the lack of representation um, because I, I also hear, I've heard that also, I used to, before I was in the, um, health coaching, um, mental health space. I was uh, working as a, uh, event coordinator and an event producer. And one of the, um, clients that we had was in the, the medical space. And, um, I was luckily assigned, it was a really great conference. They were talking about this. They were talking about, um, they, they served, um, the dialysis, um, kidney, kidney care and, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. diabetics. And as you know, I'm sure there's a, there's a higher pop, population of diabetics that are African-American um, in, our, in our country. And so they were talking about uh, why someone who is 
um, African-American or identifies as black might not come in as often mm-hmm. or might not mm-hmm. express themselves fully and, and talk about what's going on because there is a total lack of representation in their company of black physicians. Yes. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is something I, I've never, I mean, that's a privilege. That's a white privilege right there because mm-hmm. I've never mm-hmm. even considered that. Like I, I just do, I do identify with my physicians. Yes. Um, I mean, that yes. alone is huge. No, absolutely. It's huge. And you know, I experienced, um, you know, and, and when I, that's one of the reasons why I, I, I try to seek out a, a, a woman of color because, because of that, um, I, I did have an experience where, you know, a woman, uh, a female doctor misdiagnosed me, um, with pelvic inflammatory disease, which, um, you know, that's also something that tends to have, that has happened too, where women who have like endometriosis or fibroids might be misdiagnosed or, you know, and they're diagnosed at a higher rate of like sexual transmitted diseases when in fact it's something else because of the assumption. And, you know, and so every woman has you know, gone through, uh, you know, a, a, a well woman exam. And so, you know, that they, they palpate your, your, your abdomen. And so when I was diagnosed with two major fibroids, after she had diagnosed me with pelvic inflammatory disease, I went and got a second opinion. Thank goodness, because I had two major fibroids protruding from my uterus. Mm-hmm. One was the size of a grape, was a grapefruit. And the other one was the size of a lemon. And so oh. If you're thinking about the the exam, you know, which is not comfortable, um, how that could not be identified. Um, So that also was was a very jarring experience and let me know, okay, wow, I need to stay on top of things uh, because that was when I was first diagnosed and I was just suffering in pain and she kept saying, nope, this is what it is. And I'm like, no, but I, I know I don't fit the criteria for PAD, you know, and, but yeah, she was, she, she, she wasn't open to other, other, uh, rationales. And so. I, and I don't, and I, and I'm so sorry you went through that because that in and of itself to me is a trauma. Like I, I, I feel that, you know, we, we underestimate what it's like to be told that your pain isn't real or right. that you're, you're diagnosed with this other thing or something like you're going to have this for the rest of your life. I mean, I've been through that and I don't mm-hmm. even know that that, it, I mean, I think it probably happens way more to, to black and brown community members, but I think also, this is also a, a female thing too, that happens often with, especially around like fibroids and yes. the idea that like, I mean, fibroids are way more um, prevalent in African-American women. I, I don't even yes. understand why she wouldn't consider that as like the first line of like right. consideration as to what like it could be, you know, it's just. Exactly. Yeah. I, exactly. I, and I, and it's interesting too, like I, um, I have a, um, a woman who identifies as African-American um, who has like some of the worst history, like some of the worst um things that she's going through, like in, in my client roster, like just mm. really, really awful stuff. And, um, you know, I was asking her about her diagnos- diagnosis of like PCOS and, you know, how she got to where she was at. And she just like, she just, her and my other client basically have been t- telling their um, gynecologists that they're going through a lot of pain and all these things. And they're, they both are African-American women and they're just like, yeah, that's normal. Yeah, that's, that's okay. Mm to leave mm-hmm. for two weeks at a time like yep it's okay mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. like no it's not okay and you know mm-hmm. I'm the one that's just sitting there being like you're I'm sorry but you're you're being you're not being treated well by your mm-hmm. physician you need to find someone else and mm-hmm. I can't help but sit there and think would this be the same conversation if they were white 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think that's the that is an important question. You know, like would the conversation be the same? You know, if you were were white, and and that's something I think for for a white white allies to think about. It's like listening to the experiences of Black and Brown Indigenous women talk about um, their realities and how you know yeah, and and then ask themselves, okay, well if this were me, you know, would this be the same? And nine times out of 10, the question, you know, the answer is usually no. Yeah. Or it's no, or it's, it would be different or it would still different. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess there's no Mm -hmm. way of, of knowing that, but even just entertaining Mm -hmm. the conversation and being an ally that way is is huge. And I, that's actually kind of, I'd love to learn more about like, you're going through this, right. You're going, you know, potentially going through all this stuff how can we be allies outside of just listening and, and being understanding? I mean, is that actually the best way or are there other things that, um, you know, we can be doing to support, um, to support you? Well, I, I think that, you know, I, I really appreciate, you know, com- the conversations because I think that conversations allow us to stay engaged as a community, as professionals, and also as, you know, just as women going through this together. And the holding of space for these realities uh, is is important. Um, I think there's some women who feel more called to do more advocacy work. And if that is your wheelhouse, then by all means, I think there's some, you know, fabulous, you know, groups out there that are doing more advocacy. Resolve is doing a lot on the part of, of, you know, the infertility community. And I think there are, you know, some women of color within that too, who are spearheading efforts. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's recognizing that your level of support doesn't always have to look like somebody else's, but, it, you know, just even small actions of like, relearning history or, you know, you know, being open to listening to podcasts like this. And, you know, because those create, I think, larger shifts that you can kind of build on later. And, um, and so it's, I think it's just, and that level of sensitivity that comes from a deeper level of understanding, I, I think is really, is really helpful. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I know that with everything that came up this year with Black Lives Matter, Mm-hmm. that it's for for a lot of white people it's very overwhelming because it's like yeah and not and i'm not saying that that we need <laughs> we need a pat yeah. on the back i'm saying that yeah. people don't know what to do because they they right. are like if i talk to somebody about this am i being insensitive if i you know what what do i do how how do i get involved and is it going to just be viewed as too little too late and you know in some cases maybe it is but i i just appreciate you kind of going through from your perspective what you find to be useful because I think there are a lot of people who do want to hold space or they do want to get engaged or they do want to help and they're confused about what to do. And, Mm -hmm, um, because mm -hmm. they've just never, like you said earlier, like, you know, I didn't grow up in a family where we were talking about, um, having to change who we were so that we weren't violently assaulted by a police officer. Like that's not, wasn't part of the conversation that happened in my house. Right. Um, I mean, my dad, my dad is half black. So there were a lot of conversations around race, but they weren't mm-hmm. about like my safety level or right. my like in, inherent, like mistrust of the people that you're supposed to trust most in this world, like law enforcement right. and doctors. And yes. so when you grow up with that privilege, then to 
start to see the world even, I think, with another perspective, with a new set of contact lenses is mm-hmm. huge. It's huge. And, I've, and yeah. I think that that, I think you're right. I think that alone, having those conversations, listening is, is potentially a really big way to shift the conversation. It's a way to shift the conversation. And I also think, you know, it's honoring what you have the capacity to do um, and like asking yourself, well, if this, if, if the shoe were on the other foot, if I were in that experience, what would I find helpful? And because I think it's also, you know, being able to figure out ways to use your privilege um, within your respective communities. And so, yes, it doesn't mean that you have to be out in the streets protesting. It could mean that, you know, that you might be writing about it um, and talking to your friends who might not understand about why, you know, um, you know, racial justice is reproductive justice too, um, because they're in, they're so linked and, and, and we can't think about them, um, you know, as, as separate entities because racial injustices impact fertility issues. We, that's just, that's, that's what we are finally, that's at least what we finally got in science to prove. But even though we've known that for, or at least kind of suspected that for, 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 for some time. So, so I think it's being, you know, asking yourself what you feel comfortable with. Mm, racial justice is reproductive justice. Love mm-hmm. that you said that. That is so mm-hmm. true and so clear from this conversation. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned uh, a group that you, I, I I don't think I caught it. Could you repeat that? that you've seen someone doing some good yes. work in the space. Yes. So um, Resolve is um, is the international you know infertility association. So they're doing a really you know doing a lot to uh, promote. Uh, advocacy uh, with you know for for our community but also the the broken brown egg is another uh, foundation that um, she's a great advocate Regina she's out of Chicago uh, does a lot of work for for black women and raising that level of awareness so she's she offers a lot of support but also a lot of education for for the you know for the the black female experience so for people who want to know more um, I think those are two you know great places to to check out. That's great. That's really fantastic. Any other kind of words of wisdom or more knowledge bombs you want to drop around this intersection between infertility trauma and racial trauma? You know, I I think that, um, first of all, I think you mentioned before too, that, you know, for people who are just seeing the power behind the connection, it can be really overwhelming. So pace yourself, um, you know, and for the women who are feeling seen in ways that they hadn't before, you know, know that you're not alone. Um, this is a journey and we're, we're all in this together. And so, you know, this is about holding space and really lifting each other up. Mm. And when, when we're, when one person's struggling, we're kind of all struggling. So, you know, just figuring out how we can be of service to each other in ways that we would have liked, you know, and or would like to. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Lori. And I would love to end our session with just um, telling people where they can find you online and, you know, do they have to be a black and brown or a black and brown woman to see you or what kind of work do you do? How could they sign up to work with you? Um, Like all those things. Yes. So you can find me online. I'm, I'm, I usually hang out on Instagram at Dr. Lori Johnson <laughs> and I'm on Facebook a little bit too, but not as much. And Lori is spelled D-R-L-O-R-E-E and then Johnson. 
Johnson. Dr. Lori Johnson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And you don't have to be a black woman to to follow me. I you know have I, I have a lot of followers across, you know, various ethnic and racial groups. And um so all are welcome. And you know, and so I, I and I love working with, you know, I, t- I do work a lot with women of color um because I've spoken so um you know, freely about this. And I, you know, I find that, you know, a, a lot of white women enjoy working with me too, because of, you know, that it, they're aware of social justice issues and want to be able to talk about that as well. And, and, um, you know, so it's, um, you know, it's, yeah, that's, that's also the reality. And so I do my therapy and I, you know, kind of help women reprocess a lot of these, these traumas and helping them, you know, by holding space. Um, and also for women who are, you know, just work going through fertility treatments and just need a little bit of coaching and a little bit of a cheerleader, but, you know, um, having some space around mental health issues or mental wellness issues, I should say, yeah, there's space for them too. So, um, but yeah, if you have any questions, just kind of, you know, shoot me a DM or you can check out my website at Dr. Lori Johnson too, and, um, send me an email. Amazing. Thank you so much. And uh, I have a, a random question that yeah. I wasn't planning on asking you, but as you were talking through this, something that's come up for me so much in, um, in holding space for the women that I work with is like, mm-hmm. you know, we're a, we're like a channel system for women who are dealing with immense trauma, um, mm-hmm. not just infertility trauma, right? For me, in my case, but like, a lot of a lot of medical trauma I deal with in my mm-hmm, practice. Mm-hmm, a lot of women, whether mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. they're whatever color they are, dealing with being misdiagnosed like you were, or being told their their pain isn't real, um, only to find out that they are like mold toxic and heavy metal toxic and have parasites yes. and all these things that we uncover in our work together. And so, um, you know, something I've recently realized is that I, I'm an empath and I take on mm-hmm, a lot of their mm-hmm, their mm-hmm. stuff. And so I've had to learn different methods to kind of like support myself. So I'm just curious, yes. you know, in this work of like deep trauma therapy, what do mm-hmm. you do to protect and support your body? So I try to maintain a a really good routine around, you know, eating properly and and exercising. For me, I, you know, it's been a little hard because I love going to the gym and like lifting weights and I can't do that because of COVID. (laughs) Um, So, so right now it's kind of going out for walks um, and, you know, doing what I can at home. I I do like a lot of grounding. So for, for me, I will actually lean my body up against a wall and, you know, just kind of, it's hard to kind of describe what that looks like uh, through this format, but I might lean my head or my back and just rock from side to side while I'm doing some deep breathing to help move energy through my body. Mm. Um, So, you know, in between sessions too, I I do like to, I do kind of have a little ritual around, you know, washing hands. I might go outside depending on the, the the intensity of of the session to actually touch on, you know, touch the the earth um, and do some visualization around um, allowing the sun to come through my body and just Mm. kind of flush through uh, whatever tension uh, that's there and kind of giving Mm. it to, to the earth. So that's a little bit more about my practice and how I, how I, uh, take care of myself when, uh, you know, during this really challenging time. So powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's been, 
Um, just, it's really always lovely to hear how all the coaches and the doctors that come on the podcast do take care of themselves as well. And um, we all need it. We all need that support. We yeah. all need our own coaches. We all need yes. our own things that we do. I mean, I have a coach, yes. you know, it's like, yes. we all need support. So absolutely. And I have my own, and I have my own therapist too. So, you know, therapist and coach. So I, yes, it's like we, and we need that. So I'm glad mm-hmm. to hear you're, you're, you're doing that as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lori, for coming on and sharing. Uh, really, I think it's just a unique perspective that many people maybe have not considered. Um, and I really appreciate you and your time. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for allowing me to be here and sharing your space. You're so welcome. And ladies, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a girlfriend. There may be many women that need access to this information. And as a friendly reminder, you guys can set up an appointment to talk with me by going to my website or to my Instagram, She Talks Health. And I would be more than willing to jump on a call and see if I can help you with your period health or your gut health or any of the other random symptoms you seem to be going through. And this is Sophie Shepard and I'm signing off until next week. I hope you enjoyed. I hope this episode got you one step closer to achieving your optimal health. If you liked this episode, please spend a few seconds to rate it so more women can find this resource. Be sure to tune in for more women's health support next week on the She Talks Health podcast. And in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at She Talks Health. I have an open door DM policy. No question is stupid and I'm always here for you.